What's going on guys? It's Madman Plant. We are here for episode number seven with Smokebusters. This is very exciting because we have a very great person on. I finally got my co-host Paul back in the studio with me to do some fun action. Welcome Shark Mouse. How's it going, dude? What's going Howdy on? Howdy guys. Thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Dude, awesome. Um, I've watched a lot of your stuff um, coming up and, you know, following what you do and, you know, you're kind of like me. You come from a place of education and trying to empower people and trying to stay up to date with the latest technology and stuff. Tell us a little bit about Shark Mouse Farms and, you know, what do you represent and, you know, what are you about? So, I guess the the epicenter of this journey started, you know, most of us do, you know, you, 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 you have an interest in the plant itself, you create a passion and a love for, for not only smoking, but then you start discovering different, you know, flavors and, and, and chemo bars that you didn't know existed before. And that, that, that sort of snowballed into, you know, how can I create this for myself at home? And I've always had a, a bit of a passion and an interest in, in natural sciences, biology and chemistry, and I guess, uh, you know, gardening and cultivation go hand in hand with that. The issue I found was that when I did finally decide I was going to start growing plants, uh, getting information was nearly impossible. And the information I did have access to came from uh, internet forums with people that were handing out anecdotal information at, at very best and, and harmful, wrong information at, at the worst of times. Right? You'd go on to you know places like Roll It Up for which you know is a great resource and a great community with you know lots of cool people. The only sort of way to diagnose an issue you were having as an inexperienced grower was, hey guys, what's wrong with my plant? And he would get a response back saying, you know, cow or, or nobody having any idea about what, what my environmental parameters were, what, you know, what was causing potential issues in my plant. They were just saying things that sounded good to them. And as an inexperienced grower, I'd go back and like dump cow in my plant and nothing was happening. Now, now what? And then, it became very defeating um, as, a, as a hobby, I guess. Um, and I decided that there, there, there was a more efficient way to do this. Uh, so I started researching, you know, all of the open access research centers that, that you know, had any potential papers and literature on, on actual peer-reviewed cannabis studies. Uh, and the more I found, um, the more I realized that a lot of universities publish their, their literature online uh, just for free open source perusing, which I started doing and just started consuming more and more and more content. The problem is, is I'm not a, a botanist or a chemist. Uh, a lot of the terminology was foreign to me. A lot of the, the methodology was foreign to me. A lot of how they were coming to their conclusions uh, didn't quite make sense to me. So I would have to basically reverse engineer that every time I came across something I didn't understand. Now I've got to go and study that topic first so I can further understand the topic I'm trying to get to. And I guess it just created a sort of cascading uh, level of, of, of scaffolded learning that seemed easier for me to, to compile for myself than a traditional way of learning. So I thought to myself, if, if this way works for me, maybe it can work helping other people with the same issue and, and that's where we landed to shark mouse farms 
dude, that's awesome. And I think that's what it's about. I think it's, you know, I say this all the time too. It's, it's about being creative. It's about, you know, searching the answer for yourself, you know, do a little bit of reading on the wall. But like you said, you know, you kind of have to be careful. There's a lot of bro signs out there. There's a lot of mismatched information. You'll go to one site that says one thing. You'll go to another site that says the exact opposite. And then you're kind of left at a crossroad, not really knowing what to do because, you know, one, you know, what are you going to do? You know, it's two different things. So, you know, being able to not only figure it out for yourself, but then be able to have the courage and the motivation to want to share this with other people. Cause a lot of people, you know, they don't want to share their secrets or they, you know, they want to keep what they do to themselves and it can become a very like, um, introverted thing. And this is a social thing. This is a social medicine. You know, this is something that you share with your friends. So why wouldn't the knowledge of growing be the same? Yeah. No, yeah, I think that's a big thing of the industry. I think that's why there's so many different ways and so many, so much different information is because so many people have kept those secrets to themselves when they did figure it out for so long. And then now that things are kind of starting to come out in the open, we're actually able to get some real research on the plant and how to grow it. And that's been missing I from think, this industry. I think that that sort of gatekeeping culture goes hand in hand with a lot of the the toxicity that we face in the industry as, as a whole in itself. Um, you know, a lot of this industry is driven by ego and, and, you know, the, the machismo of being the best in the game or whatever, whatever terminology or, or um, you know, sort of how, however you want to paint it. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, the people that I'm teaching how to cultivate are, were, were never, my competition, they were never your competition, they were never cookies competition. Um, these were people that were going to learn to grow with their, in their home one way or the other, whether they had the same pitfalls and tribulations that I had to go through, or whether they have a more efficient means of getting to that end goal um, than, than I had. So, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to be to be the, the, the villain for those who want to continue to maintain that sort of secrecy on their, on their, on their um, operating procedures and their and their practices and implementations, uh, because at the end of the day, knowledge is supposed to be free. We're like you said, we are we're a social a social animal, um, and and it's in our biology and our evolution. It's 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 part of our survival tactics to to share information and wisdom and and and, and pass that along to not only future generations but um, other parts of our own community in order to help progress our own goals. So I think the more people that can can do what we do, the better off as an industry will be as a whole, the higher up we'll all be able to push ourselves as a whole as opposed to the one guy winning while everybody else stands back. Yeah, I feel like well, for me as like a store owner and seeing a lot of new growers all the time, the hardest, I think one of the hardest things that we have to go through is trying to get people on the right path because they've read all these things on the internet and then they've gone down this one road and I, they believe it. And then even if it's, it's not correct. And it's like trying to show you like, this is why you're having these problems. You just have to open your mind up a little bit and, and be accepting of new ways and, and new processes to kind of figure these things out. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's interesting to see how home grow has, has, has exploded over the last few years and like how much information there is 
starting to actually become available and even like be able to find real information online and stuff for it. And it's the value of helping each other kind of grow. And I, one thing as we just talked about is I just can't understand the stigmas and everything that goes into this, especially when it's a plant. And I think with the level of craft cannabis, what you're seeing is you're seeing more answers because more research is essentially being done, whether you're a home grower, whether you're in a professional lab, whether, you know, you're a scientist or a botanist, it doesn't matter. Your time with these plants and what you're actually doing is the most vital thing. And I think that's what we all need to remember is nobody, at least on our level, unless you have a degree in it, is an expert. And I think the biggest thing you can do is teach people because you know it's one of those things where you teach a man to fish he eats for a day you show a man how to fish he eats for the rest of his life and with the way the world's going this isn't just you know related to cannabis this is right you know right um you know the same thing for regular agriculture vegetables fruits you know and having control of your own garden is very empowering Let's talk a little bit about how you stay up to date with everything that's going on. You're a person that takes a great interest in writing down really detailed posts about what's going on, what you're experiencing. And I think that's the most valuable thing because as somebody that's trying to learn, I've only been doing this for two years, that information is great. And um, so how do you stay up on that technology? So I think a large part of that comes with you know, my connections within the scientific community as far as reaching out to. Um, I have good contacts at University of Guelph from the botany department that, that I can reach out to and ask about a specific uh, topic and they'll say, check out this paper for, you know, a partial answer and then send me different, different sources to go check out. And there's a lot of legwork that comes with, um, you know, having to go through the research and then make it digestible for everybody. Uh, because a lot of that stuff can be very dry and very boring and, and tough to sit through. But I, I, I find that there is there is a way to sort of convert that into everyday language that's usable for you to just take right down into your garden right now. So um, let's talk about some of the things that are going on in your current garden right now. You, um, you have a couple of different ways you're growing. Um, you're also using uh, Pulse and um, a couple of other devices. Uh, one thing I've seen in your garden is this white thing with rings around it all the way down. It looks like a satellite dish. Um, yeah. Can you explain what all of that great technology is and how that's making you a better grower and maybe some of the things that people should look into? Sure. So a lot of people will ask me, how come I don't just convert these spaces into one just sort of open, efficient grow, two flower rooms, one bedroom, and I'd, I'd obviously optimize a lot of my harvest and my yields. But that would defeat the purpose of what I'm trying to do here. So you'll notice that all of my spaces are, are a little bit different in some capacity. Uh, and that's by design so that you, the viewer, have the ability to choose um, to follow along based on what fits your style of growing the most. Are you hand watering? Are you just getting into automation? Are you already super dialed in and very experienced and you're just trying to take it to that next level and, and, and see how how you know, manipulating your drybacks can affect your outcomes. Um, so I, I kind of want it to be that you go everywhere around my space and there's something for everybody. I've got microgreens and veggies growing for those who, um, you know, may only be growing up, you know, two or three cannabis plants at home, but also have uh, an interest in food and self-sustainability. So I try to give a little, a little bit of everything for everybody. 
Um, but as you know, I'm super into the into the technology, and I believe in in, in data driven cultivation. We as humans can only monitor and control so many aspects of our garden at one time. And the more that we're able to automate that through various data points, the tighter we're able to keep those parameters to to maximize and, and optimize our overall harvest and our spaces and, and, and our overall goal. So the pulse, for example, is a is is a very economical, super efficient very functional little tool that allows you to monitor your space's environment, all the parameters from BPD to temperature, RH, um, you know, you can monitor what time your lights are coming on, it, it gives you push notifications, all that sort of fun stuff with the info that you would want as a grower included, while not sort of giving you the functionality of being able to manipulate those specific uh, parameters. Whereas, in the other space spaces, you'll see two sort of full automation systems. One being the troll master for Mango Tech, and that's sort of your your very baseline full run automation, including solenoids, and it's monitoring uh, you know irrigation event times, and it's watering for you, and it's controlling by my humidity and temperature through through automatic fans and whatnot. Uh, and that's that's for people who you know may not necessarily have the time to be in their garden, but still want to keep up with a high frequency fertigation program to optimize their yields. And then in the five by five with the little uh, UFO that you're referring to, <laughs> that's called the Stevenson screen. And inside that, there's an eight-in-one environmental sensor. That screen protects from radiant heat coming off the lights and through the space to ensure that that sensor is getting the absolute most accurate reading possible. And it's, it's measuring eight environmental uh, parameters as well as my light wavelength, light intensity, and DLI. Fantastic. So what it makes you want to have everything automated? What kind of takes you away from the hand watering and why is are you just a gadgets person? Do you like this technology in general? Or is there more of a scientific reason for why you're trying to automate everything? So that's actually a threefold answer that I think satisfies everybody um, in every circumstance, right? Like a lot of people will say that that hand watering disconnects me from, from the plant in a specific way. I don't necessarily believe that to be true. I've found that automation has made me far more in tune with my plants on a spiritual level simply by by the fact that I've got more access to how the plant's behaving, what's happening on a micro level within the root zone and within its atmosphere. I feel more, more like I said, spiritually connected now, knowing more about the plant than I did previously when I was just watering it the blind. Secondly, I love data. I think, um, you know, it's super cool to be able to analyze different things and find patterns within that within those numbers that identify either a problem or your successes or your wins and everything can be sort of boiled down into an articulate formula this accomplishes that my hydro mesh system for example is sending me 20 different data points every 10 to 15 seconds and i can i can look back it grows across a 10-year time span if i want and see this is what happened when it happened why it happened and i can replicate that um to to the micro level um and the third answer is is you know i've got i've got kids i've got responsibilities outside of cultivation i've got i've got rescue dogs and 
I frankly don't have the time to be down here 24 hours a day and having automated systems that are kept within the parameters I set them to gives me the peace of mind knowing that I can go complete those tasks and still manage, um, you know, to, to pull pretty good flour at the end of the day. I was going to say, I feel like having that automation, it really, it doesn't disconnect you from the plants because it gives you more time to actually focus on the plants instead of the watering or whatever else. Yeah, and I think, and I have to agree with that because with hand watering, it's just one movement, one task every single time. When you're automating, you're figuring out how the plant is going to adapt to this, whether it's going to like it, whether it's not going to like it, how the machines or the pieces of equipment are actually going to add or interact. And then you also have to figure out, you know, your schedule. I, I We have the Floraflex system here and um, it's very convenient, especially for instance, like, you know, we're on a tray system, so trying to water the back would be a lot harder carrying in jugs every single time when we have a 32-gallon reservoir that all from a push of the phone or a switch can take that feed, take that water. It's not only going to save you time, but like you, you know, um, I'm a parent as well, and, you know, Paul's a business owner, so time is money, and, um, you know, time is your most valuable resources in life, so if you can find something that kind of rubs your back a little bit and says it's okay, go take care of the real things and then come back to your plants when you're ready, uh, it's a great feeling because nothing is more tragic when you are getting home and you're all excited, you go to your tent, and everything's falling over, and it's dead, and you're rushing to the bathroom or whatever, getting your water source, and coming back, and emergency water, emergency, you know, yeah, <laughs> 911 emergency, and your heart's beating, and you're like, oh shit, I'm in flower, and oh my god, so yeah, I think that is great. So, and I think to that point as well, a super critical aspect of that is I, um, I'm a big proponent of, of, of crop steering, and I drive that method of cultivation and, and a huge part of that is managing um, your root zones volumetric watering con water content in order to ensure the right osmotic pressure at the right time uh, my plants are getting nine water events a day uh, and if i'm coming down here nine times a day to, to water six percent volumes each time that's going to be my entire life um, i'll be providing you educational content i won't be uh, taking the dogs for a run, and I won't be, you know, doing the the, the fun color games upstairs with the kids. It'll yeah. just be, oh, gotta go water in half an hour and just repeat that process over and over. So, I think that in order to do it effectively as well, um, it it helps drive that necessity. Yeah, it's a lot harder to like stack your EC and everything like that if you're hand watering because you don't know exactly how much water you're putting in there each time. Flowing through everything. Oh wow. yeah, and I think it's too because see, you know, like living soil, most people aren't pHing their water too. So you know what your plants getting. You know, people aren't checking their EC. So when you have an automated system, things like that are a lot more relevant because those are the factors that you're controlling on a daily basis to make sure that the plants uptaking well, and you know working right. I think what's important to remember, especially you know, even for those folks, is that a lot of the practices we're using here come from decades-old agricultural practices that have been that have been sort of mastered from a from a, a yields perspective. Now we can ha definitely have the conversation about, um, you know, the environmental impact that, that commercial agriculture has had on the planet as a whole. But as far as a fruit production 
standpoint is 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 concerned, they've got that part sort of maxed out. And I think there are ways there, especially if you're not, you know, going directly into the earth, um, managing synthetic nutrients on a on a small home scale level is completely sustainable through ROing your runoff, maximizing uh, your watering and irrigation efficiency to avoid ex- excess runoff, um, not using excessive nutrients when necessary. All those type of uh, all those type of things that, that can alleviate some of the environmental impacts while still pushing a really heavy uh, generative program on your plants. Yeah, and I don't think a lot of people even realize that when they have all this nutrient runoff that they're just dumping down their drain, that's got to go somewhere. <laughs> and it's going into... There are, there are good ways to utilize that. I mean, you can use that runoff in your veggie garden. You can RO that water. You, you know, there's 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 a lot of need for non-potable water that, that that could function very well for without having to go directly into um, into your... Your, into your your water table right yeah well and that's what we see like again from unsustainable agriculture you see all these algae blooms and everything like all that is is, is nutrient runoff just at a larger scale so what and are, again go ahead i was gonna say well i was gonna say what are some things you know you mentioned ro you mentioned putting it back in your garden what are some things that people can do to help better the earth, especially if they are using synthetics and stuff like that? You seem very conscious about what's going on environmentally. How can we be better? Right. So, like like I mentioned, a lot of a lot of your runoff can be can be recycled um, for various purposes. Your 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 plant waste, such as your cocoa and and your rock wool. Rock wool has been shown that um, up to ten percent once. Uh, once it's been thermal composted to, to ensure that there's no bacteria left or no viruses left within that within that rock wool, um, up to 10% can actually be very beneficial in a compost pile for even though it doesn't degrade, um, it's a, it's it's an inert material and can be very beneficial for provide, for providing porosity to your compost pile. So all of these these quote unquote synthetic wastes um, can be recycled and reused in. in environmentally friendly and beneficial ways at the end of the day it just takes a little bit of commitment on our behalf to be able to go you know to go through the process of washing our soils before we put them uh, out into our garden beds or or making sure that we're clipping down our our uh, our, our used stock stems to go into our compost pile instead of just dumping them out in the woods or whatever the case is do you think that synthetics is a, a long-term sustainable way for plants or do you think are you more of an organic fan when i was talking to apsu soil on our podcast he said that he's against synthetics mainly because of the instability the price could go up um the resources could run out and um, he's more of a fan of organic but since you're in an area that play in both i'd love to hear your feedback on where you side on the long-term use of synthetic versus organic there's no question but synthetics are, are a necessity for planet earth we would not be able to feed this entire population without them plain and simple there are practices that need to change um, monoculture farming is a big issue uh, you know clear cutting hundreds of thousands of acres for these mega farms is, uh, carbon emissions are a huge issue but the use of synthetic fertilizers as a means of pushing food production off you know, is is not only necessary, um, but but beneficial to, to 
the the end goal. Um, people have this misconception that that inorganic or in or synthetically um, fertilized food, vegetables, uh, plants, any 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 consumable um, is laden with these toxic chemicals, and that's it's simply just not the case. It's an absolute misnomer, um, and a, a lot of the derivatives of organic inputs are are just as environmentally uh, damaging as the production of uh, or, or or the reduction of phosphate waste to um, you know a phosphorus fertilizer you know in order to get at guano it's not like they're sending in people with with you know shovels and knapsacks they take a bulldozer and they smash in a 50,000 year old cave and they scoop it up and, and harvest it um, those caves don't grow back right they're there are practices we all have to take into account how our, our our part in them are impacting our planet as a whole. Yeah, and not using, a lot of times it's not even synthetic nutrients in your home garden is not it's 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 akin to the uh, the litter bug campaign where where corporations like Coca Cola are passing the buck off for for making two hundred million plastic bottles a day, saying, "Well, you shouldn't throw your bottle on the floor." It's not really a consumer issue. It's a production quality issue that should be looked at as a whole. Um, but at the end of the day, synthetic nutrients are required in order to to maintain sustainable future for all of us, whether it's cannabis or food. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, I was just going to go back to the backwater thing, too, because not only are they yeah destroying caves and stuff, but if you look into the life expectancy of someone that mines backwater, it is not very long. Is a very dangerous job. What what right. what's causing that? The inhalation of of bat guano. So it's like cancerous. It's like oh, it's terrible for okay. you. Yeah, that's why even if you're if you're top dressing with bat guano or any of those organics, it's really good to wear a, re- a respirator. You don't want to be inhaling those dusts and from from any of that. Oh, it's instantly lethal. It's it's like um, it's like methane gas lethal. Like quick, it'll yeah. shut down in the cave. Yeah. It's amazing how um, beneficial it is for the life cycle of a plant, but how dangerous it is for the person trying to extract it. Yeah. And even the person that's um, going to even apply it, you know what I mean? It's kind of interesting how it can be beneficial, but dangerous at the same time. Kind of like a double-edged sword. Well, so it's super crazy how, how the planet has found a way to sort of operate in that type of cycle where, you know, what's beneficial to one isn't, is, is, is lethal to another. You look at how life presumably got started on this planet through, you know, volcanic, um, volcanic sulfur eruptions in the ocean, and you know, temperatures were like thirteen hundred degrees or something insane, where life shouldn't be thought to be able to exist. But these microorganisms are sitting here picking off these 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 nourishing elements from deep within the Earth's core, and they're getting crunched on by fish that are getting picked off by us, and the cycle continues. So, um, I think I think it's it's very cool that you know, life always finds a way to, to make itself self-regenerative while ensuring that the balance is always maintained, which is what we should be aiming to do as, as a species as well. And speaking on microorganisms, are you one that uses a lot of microorganisms in your grove or are you kind of running a sterile root zone? No. So I believe, I, I believe um, in a healthy inoculation of your rhizosphere is, is, is absolutely um critical to um, to, a, to not only a diverse rhizosphere, but the ability to to uptake up the, the proper amount of, of nutrients. Uh, 
the ability of a root on its own to to reach specific pores of your medium is very limited. The roots are actually quite large um, in, in, in perspective. But when we add those mycorrhizal inoculants, they have the ability to reach into these micro spaces and create the symbiotic relationship, allowing up to 25% more, more elemental uptake than they would have otherwise. So I don't run any detergents or bleaches through my reservoir until, um, until I'm finished the run and then I've got to flush the lines. I have yet to experience uh, clogged lines with with um, any of my nutrient lines. That being said, I haven't yet added um, you know a, a microbial a, a microbial amendment to my reservoirs yet. Only inoculating the the uh, root cube or the pot itself. Any uh, particular one that you like? Dynomyco is phenomenal. Nice. Absolutely phenomenal. That's the one I use on every run. I have tried uh, lots of other products, but I definitely, as we're in the potting room here, and I've got <laughs> packages lying around, it's, um, you know, a little sprinkle of that, and come back, and you will see those roots packing on for sure. The, the I, I believe there's 18 different species contained within that specific pack, and they're, they're, uh, they're definitely beneficial for my experience. Nice. So with all of this, all the the time that you've taken to invest in your brand and the science and the way you even grow, what are you seeing in your own garden? Like what kind of changes, what kind of output, what are the yields like? What are the flavors like? Can you see, or could you even measure the true difference of your knowledge and how it's affected your garden? Exponentially. Um, and I, one of my favorite things on Instagram, and we can talk about Instagram in a minute because this is an unfortunate part that's going to disappear, but one of my favorite things is looking at the post I did yesterday and then going back a year and a half and looking at, you know, what I was what I was producing then. And I'm proud of, of that progression, which is why I'm proud to like go back and say, you know what, that wasn't great, but for what my experience was, Back then, it was phenomenal, and what my experience is going to be in three years, I hope to have that same perspective. I hope that picture I'm, I'm, where I'm holding that flower up to the camera like this, and you know, it's the frostiest note you've ever seen in your life. I hope I look back at that, that and say, that was all right, but look at what I'm doing now. And to me, progress is always perfection. You're never going to get to that end spot, but as long as you keep striving to be better than you were yesterday, um, you're perfect, right? So that's what I've seen is the continual progression, even through the failures. I've had runs that, that turned out completely mid. I've had runs that I've had to chop halfway through. I've had runs that have turned out, you know, smelled amazing, yield was trash. I've had powdered mildew in between. Mm -hmm. But through it all, right, I've, I've taken that lesson and applied it to the next one and, and saw that progressive growth through it. So that's what I'm in for. Even at the stage I'm at now, I want to see what I can take from here and bring to here for tomorrow. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think like you said too, um, you know, this is a personal journey. How, how fast you get there, how, how great everything looks. That's not the real, the real idea of this. It's the true understanding of the life and the cycle that the plant actually goes through and how you're manipulating and affecting it and, you know, making it better and truly understanding like, you know, like science and earth science and biology and different types of physics that go 
into really great things. And I think that's why where a lot of people get confused when, you know, like, and I was too, when I first started smoking, I was like, oh, weed's weed. But now after two years of growing and I'm, you know, I'm still learning, you know, a lot more than I do. And I'm not afraid to admit that. And same with Paul, you know, I learned it's one of the benefits of Paul being on the show is, you know, I'm learning as I go. And, you know, I'm okay with, you know, telling people that because I'm not trying to be the best. I'm just trying to be good enough for me. And, I, and like, you know, Kevin Hart says, it's, it's you against you. So when you're in your garden, if, if like you said, if it's better than the last time you're progressing, you're getting better. You know, if your nugs are a little bit heavier, if your your terpenes are frostier, if whatever, and you enjoy it, I think that's the true key to success. And I feel like with with people out there who are like really good growers, you know, it can turn people off. But how do you think they got started? Do you think it was all glamorous? Do you think that they never failed or never had any issues? And I think more people need to be acceptable to failing to really truly learn. Well, you have to you, fail growing cannabis. You absolutely have to be in love with the journey. Like this is, this is not. There's two. There's two sort of aspects to it. You know, if you just want to do this because, you know, you 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 want to provide yourself that medicine. It's a fun, healing, cathartic experience. Being in the garden and just getting to be with plants. I encourage you to shut that noise out. Don't let anybody tell you a damn thing. You keep doing exactly what makes you happy in your garden. And whatever you pull out of there, I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of you for being able to do that for yourself. And the other hand, for those of those of you who, you know, who want to get in here and be the next burner or be the next dojo or be the next, you know, whomever, compound, um, it's a hard fucking game. And nobody's, nobody's playing with your feelings, right? So the more you're able to... to dust your shoulders off every time somebody kicks you down every time you kick yourself down every time you fail and get back up you've got to have a passion for what you're doing or you're just going to say fuck it it's not worth it sorry for the language um but you know i don't i don't have an alarm clock i i wake up and i come down to work because that's what i want to do yeah so as far as passion i totally agree and that's one thing that i think will keep you in the game whatever it is whether it's gardening whether it's sports whether it's whatever you're trying to do is the passion. And when you look at it at open-minded, and we talked a little bit about this with, I think you did with Paul before even the podcast started, was you gotta think outside the box and you gotta be comfortable with change and experiencing different things because that's the true definition of like passion is, is like grit. It's doing the same thing over and over with multiple outcomes, but still having that same energy like the first day you went into that. And that energy, like when we talk to, um, like soul fire or um, exotic genetics, you know, we talked about their passion. Why would somebody sit there and make the thousands of the same plant just to find that one so then they could share that with the world? And it's that level of dedication. It's that level of passion. It's that level of self-pride. And that's why, Art. you know, I think people need to look at that more internally because when you lock onto that, it changes the game. And then, and then you do get better and then people around you get better and then you grow and then they grow. And it's just a very cool thing. I think we alluded to, you know, us as a species being, being social and part of, part of that, that sociability um, is, is, is again, purely a survival tactic. We're stronger together. And in order to, to draw people together, we have this artistic nature about us where we all inherently want to create art, regardless of the medium. 
we all have this inherent drive to create something artistic and creative to be able to share with the world and inspire other people to do that same type of thing pheno hunters to me are are an amazing no pun intended breed uh, because like you said right we're going to run through 10,000 plants in the hopes to find that one pheno that's going to pop and that takes more dedication than you can than you can imagine it's it's literally a needle in a haystack myself included right like I make I make content, I make content, I make content. What works, what doesn't work. I just want to make things that resonate with people um, and, and inspire them to go further. So I'm willing to, to push through those things that don't work um, and try things that may potentially fail in order to find those things that do work. And, and, and you can apply that to any aspect of, of what you're doing in your life and be successful with it. I'll say that's even similar to with like what I do with the store, working with marketing and everything like that. You have to find what what works, what brings people in, and what doesn't. That's a whole yeah. Yeah, and be willing a, to cut, and be willing to cut the losses. Oh yeah. Well, and knowing when to cut the losses, you know, and and you know, good energy is important, and you know, and creating that lock on your environment of what you see, who you work with, what they're doing, it all comes full circle. And if you align yourself with lions who are out there killing it and doing what they need to be doing, taking care of themselves, not playing games, not bullshitting, not scamming people, providing real value, it's a game changer. And speaking of game chamber changer, I want to talk about a little bit about uh, the way you and I dry and cure our bud because we both have can of trolls and um, I get a lot of people questioning me about that. And um, I think what people need to realize is this is about physics and it's about the dew point and the water moisture activity and the fact that, you know, you're not letting your bud over dry. So how did you um, first hear about can of troll and tell me your experience with it? Because I love mine. So it must have been uh, over a year ago now that I started seeing can of troll pop up on my feed. Um, I honestly can't remember. I think it might have been Smart Poker who had it first that I saw it on. Um, but as I looked into it, like I, I thought it was pretty gimmicky at first. Like cool, like everybody says, a small little wine fridge I could buy at Costco for four hundred bucks. Hmm. Um, but as I started looking at the principle of what it was trying to achieve, I started looking into the food industry and, well, cheese, wine, meat, tobacco. What are they doing to achieve? these 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 standards um and why aren't we doing it we're, we're hanging our our flower in an open room you know some 14 days some this days nobody knows what's going on or why and the more i look at it the more it came down to water activity and not very many people know what that term is or what it stands for and it's the most critical aspect behind um behind chlorophyll degradation in a quality finished product what's happening inside your canatrol is it's setting the environment to a very specific atmospheric pressure that doesn't allow for more water than we want to yeah. leave the flower through osmosis so we can set it to the point where the atmosphere is saturated specifically to a 0.65 aw which is below the threshold for pathogenic and mold um, growth, but still maintaining that necessary bound water to maintain our volatile, the, the hydration of our volatile compounds like our cannabinoids, terpenes, flavonoids, etc. Um, because it's a sealed environment, a controlled sealed environment, 
once it hits that saturation level, it can hold it there and ensure that through osmosis, water can't come or go, leaving it precisely at the level we want it to be at. So when we take our burp jar, um, glass jar, for example, we've got our glass jar and we fill it with flour from our trim room, which in here is, you know, whatever. It's definitely not 62, 64. It's whatever the trim room yeah, happens to be. Is, and yeah. we throw it in our cure jar and then we trap that air inside. So now whatever the VPD is out here is inside here. So if it's higher than the specific number we want, it's going to draw moisture out of the flour into the jar. You're going to open the jar. Oh, that smells so good. But that smell so good is off-gassing yep. from the moisture being pulled from your flour, now escaping back into the room, never to be in your flour again, right? So people misconceive that that initial punch in the face as, 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 a, as a metric of quality when, in fact, it's the opposite. Yeah, and that's why you're going to get people to say, well, and I got this too from a couple people who are like, well, the can of control is really cool. It smells really well. But it totally took the flavor out of it. It didn't take the flavor out. What it does is that water activity is actually protecting those terpenes from, like you said, of being off gas. And that's why you're not smelling it. All those terpenes, all those flavors are staying in your flower instead of being expressed to the world. And it's going to change it. When we were talking to um, White River Grow Pros, he said that when you um, when you use it, and maybe you've experienced this too, I have, it changes the nug density as well. It doesn't it doesn't shrink as much because of that water activity. And unlike a mini split and a dehumidifier, like you know, he said too, you know, of course you're gonna you're gonna be able to dry with that. But what happens when you, the point when you start over drying and now you're taking out all that moisture out of that plant and now you're affecting the terpenes, the flavors, the aromas, and you're really killing off a lot of great things that you've worked so hard for. And in a traditional dry room, so if your mini split's kicking on over here and your humidifier's over here and your mini split's sending out air this way, so this plant's getting that direct air from the mini split um, at whatever condition it's at, your humidifier is pumping out hot air from down here, pushing warm air there. You've got microclimates happening all over the place. So where are we taking our baseline measurement now as to what's dry, what's not dry, what like where is where is our base, right? So I think that's the hardest part about drying in a traditional room is is managing those microclimates and ensuring that you know everything's drying evenly the way you you intend. Whereas it can be the larger your space gets, the more difficult that becomes. Oh, absolutely. You were going to say something, and I cut you off. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, it definitely threw me off the first time seeing the bud out of the can of troll wearing. It, it doesn't smell like anything, really. I mean, it does kind of, but you have to kind of squeeze into it to get the smells from it. Yeah, break it. And again, that's a product of, of all of the already evaporated moisture that's being pulled into the control to reach that equilibrium that's just there now so it's no longer pulling anything out of the flower so those 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 terpenes are just sitting right there as opposed to being pulled out into the air for when you know you open that jar or the can control uh, they're they're locked in for lack of a better term yeah yeah, I personally think that the can control is a game changer, and I think it's just misunderstood because a lot of people don't know the physics and they don't know what water activity is. And this is why we talked about it even too earlier is 
The sharing the information is so important because you're educating people. You can get people to make smarter decisions on how they garden, how they take care of their harvest. And one thing cool about the Cantrell is you dry, you cure, and you store. And for somebody like what we talked about as your average on-the-go person, do you really want to sit there and worry about a jar or do you just want to continue on with your life knowing that every time you come home, you open that box and it is fresh. Sometimes what I'll do is at the end of the night, I'll actually take my grinder, leave the grinder open and put it in there. So all that, all that nice ground up maintains that moisture from the morning. And Paul actually was nice enough to give me some of this, which, you know, as, as it goes on, you can start to feel the air get to it. But when I got it, it was really dry because it was sitting on top of one of your boxes or whatever. It, was, it sat on my tent for two months. So, yeah, for two months. Put it in the can of troll. I've smoked this and it tastes and smells like it was just harvested days ago. And it's yeah. sticky. And what's, what's happening there is like, like, you know, through the principles of osmosis, <laughs> any, 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 system with low pressure is going to pull to the system with high pressure, right? And, and, and if you've got something with moisture, something with norm, no moisture, that's going to diffuse in, until it reaches equilibrium just the exact same way as it did in reverse, right? So um, while you don't want to let it dry out to bone dry and then, and then re, um, you know, rehydrate it, um, it, it works along the same principle. Yeah, I mean, it brought it back to life within a half hour. Went in there, I was like, "Holy crap!" Like, wow. So another thing I want to touch on too is the fact that you have a lot of great tips and um, tips for success. What would you say your top five tips for success for would be for somebody that's maybe growing newly or somebody that's already growing? What would those be? So one. Keep it as simple as you can. Stop overthinking every single decision, right? Um, having a, a, a basic understanding of how a plant functions from root to tip will help you dramatically um, in, in sort of diagnosing and developing a plan for what may be going on in your garden. I would suggest just keep it simple. Learn how your plant takes up water and transpires water. And, and, and just start with a rudimentary understanding of plant functions. Um, the next step would be invest in your environment as best as you can. The better you're able to control your environment, the better your outcome is going to be. And the less you're going to have to fight along the way while you've got a lot going on as far as having to take in new experiences and, and, and figuring out different aspects. So if, if knocking out your environmental factors uh, is one of those things, then you're already setting yourself up for success. Genetics is always going to play a massive factor. Um, you know, a $300 pack of relentless genetics isn't going to create a magic beanstalk for you. All it's going to do is allow you to push that plant that extra step further that, you know, a, a less stable or less vetted genetic would. Um, you know, I can probably do, I would be able to do better results with with an average bag seed than than somebody who doesn't have as much experience who's not managing different different aspects of their grow would be able to do with that same $300 seed. So while it's not the cure all and be all, um, it can definitely help 
push your grow to that next level once you've got all your, all of your other factors in check. Um, my next piece of advice would be to enjoy the process. You're not going to get it perfect the first time, the second, third, fourth, fifth, maybe. It's never going to be perfect, and it's always just going to keep trying to get better. Enjoy the wins, brush off the losses, take, off the, the, take the valuable lessons they provide, and bring them forward with you. That's that's the number one tip to success. Uh, you know, if, if you're willing to learn from not only your mistakes, but from the wisdom of the people around you, then you can do nothing but, but, but grow. If you're, if you want to be closed minded and content with, with the skill level and experience you already have, then that's where you're going to exist. I think that's great. And thank you for sharing that with me. Cause I think a lot of people want to know what it takes to be successful and a lot of it don't always have to involve expensive equipment or, like you said, overthinking. It can be just the love and the passion. And we talked about it earlier, too. It's, it's the journey. And I think that's the best thing you can invest in, understanding that things take time. Failures are going to happen. There will be setbacks. Like, I don't know if you saw our, one of our YouTube series, but we actually had to take down everything because I got uh, rusted mites really, really bad. And um, they took over and they won. And you get to those points too as, you know, failure and success where do I cut my losses? Do I start over or do I try to fight this? And, you know, there's going to be a lot of challenges. And I think too is it's a mindset. You have to go in this saying, I'm going to win. You know, I'm going to learn. I'm going to be open-minded. I'm going to be educated. And I'm going to take my time. What do you think? You're a store owner. You deal with people all the time. What do you think with, with your rules of success as we talk about all this oh i mean my thing is if you have to enjoy it if you don't enjoy it you won't be successful um if you like like you said enjoy the process because it's a lot that's pretty much the whole thing it is a process and you have to love love the steps love the failure because there's a lot of failure in growing cannabis there's a lot of a lot of uh stepping stones to hit again just with with little things like hit any kind of bug you get russet mites are not fun mm -hmm. um spider mites anything like that dealing with powdery mildew having to cut down a whole grow that you've been working on and resetting that's not easy to do but what i'm sorry did it stop no it didn't stop but one it's full that's fine and two it, it's got an arrow pointing too but it's still recording mm -hmm. okay cool but yeah that's i mean that's pretty much my whole thing is is you really if you if you want to be successful in it you have to enjoy it and you have to love it you can't otherwise you won't you'll just quit that first set of bugs or something easy to throw in the towel, but like, forget this. I'll just go buy some weed. <laughs> so next question for you, the one tool in your garden that you cannot live without. Hmm. That's a good question. Mm -hmm. um, if we're going to talk all encompassing, I, I'm going to have to say that the hydro mesh controller simply because it allows me to to navigate two gardens at once without actually having to think about the process um, if I don't need to, right? I, while also allowing me to manipulate every single aspect of my grow from a little tiny box or my phone or the computer. It's the most versatile tool I own. Um, it's the most complex, might be the most, or one of the most expensive, but hmm. again, some things are are investments in ourselves that we hope to see a return on that investment just based on the progression we see from it 
Outside of that, I would say um, my little uh, $3 pH drops. That is the most valuable tool in my garden. So yeah. these things are awesome. And if you take care of them and maintain them, they will last two years. But eventually, they're just going to shift the bed on you. Right. Having a little inexpensive um, pH test kit buying around for those times specifically has been a lifesaver on a number of times. So if I heard you correctly, you said one of your favorite tools is a $3 pH tester? Yeah. Correct. See, and I think that's what I want to explain to people. And this, you, you hit your nail on the head and you're an honest man because you said keep it simple. You know, you could buy a Blue Lab plant, but a $3 tester kit is going to be just as good. And, you know, you have somebody here who's you know, has all the tools in their arsenal and, you know, your favorite tool is a $3 pen. I think that is one of the greatest things I've heard so far is, you know, it's just, it is that simple and it is that great. It's, and again, like you said, it's, it's a simple, um, non-complex analog tool that you can pick up at the local hardware store, but, you know, under any circumstance, it's going to give you true data on, on an important metric that you can't really that I personally can't navigate without, right? Like, so if I dip a test, one of those paper test strips in, I can know exactly what my EC is, what my, what my, um, what my, what my pH is, what it, making sure that my water chemistry is on point is a massive part of my program and relying on, on those tools is, is nice, but it's it, it, it peace of mind and having a fail safe that I know won't fail is the most important part to me. Fantastic. So you're you're a guy that's very driven on data and results. Are you a flusher or not flusher? So, um, depends on how you want to identify flushing. Lots of people like to. So my friend over at Grandmaster Level, he's a fantastic guy and a great cultivator. He likes to hit his plants with RO water from the last two weeks on for 14 days, and I'm unable, try as it might, to talk him out of it. Um, there is. Plenty of correlative data that sh that show um, zero discernible difference chemically between fully flushed flower and non-flushed flower, and this comes from a University of Guelph atrium paper that is in fact peer-reviewed thesis, uh, not that RX Green study that people like to float around. There's also evidence that within cherry tomatoes that reducing certain elements at that specific ripening stage causes a number of cataclysmic deficiencies within the plant on a metabolic on a metabolic level that will reduce the ability to produce secondary metabolites. Um, in tomato cherries, for example, it was shown that a reduction in calcium at that stage led to an increase in sugars within the plant um, in order to account for that lack of calcium in order to maintain cell structure. That diverted energy takes away from the plant being able to produce secondary metabolites, which is what we're after at the end of the day. So, long story short, I taper down from my peak EC down to about 1.5 to 0 0.8, and then we're done. So, guys, it's been really awesome talking with you, Shark Mouse. And um, I really want to have you back on. Paul, thank you very much for being here. It's been a pleasure having you join me. 
we learned so much, guys. And if you haven't followed Shark Mouse, make sure you check him out on his Instagram and his YouTube, all the social media where he's at. He offers tons of information. And if you're really serious about growing and finding out some really cool technology pieces and just a little bit more about him, make sure you take the time to go through. You'll go down a rabbit hole with all the things that he has to offer. And as far as us, you can visit us at madmanplant.com where we have all of our great 3D printed garden tools, smoking accessories, clothing. You can also follow us um, at different events that we're going to be going to this year. We'll be traveling a lot. And our new media side where Smokebusters is not just a podcast, but it's going to be kind of like a Vice News Network where we cover specifically the marijuana industry and how we can all help each other grow. And I can't say more about my co-host Paul and my friend who's always been here with me. If you haven't been to Hydroculture in Manassas or Fredericksburg, make sure you go check them out. They are the best store. Don't go to some big corporate chain. Go to a family owned and small company that really cares about their products and their customers and everything that they have to offer. Plus, we're gonna have more grow classes there and they have tons of other events as well coming up. So make sure to check them out. And we will see you guys next time at Madman Plant.